0: Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro.
1: Welcome back to Explore the Space and welcome to the final episode of 2016. It's been quite a year on the show. We have gone in a host of different directions with an incredible array of guests with the most diverse and interesting backgrounds who have done the most amazing things. And this journey has really helped us tease out a lot of the key principles, key disciplines, key ideas that can help all of us who are dealing with issues regarding our healthcare, who are working with patients who are engaging in these extreme activities that sometimes happen inside of a hospital, happen inside of a physician office, happen at home. With this final episode, we're going to stay on that pathway. And my guest for this last episode of 2016 is Eric Burns. Eric Burns is an old friend of mine from our college days at UCLA. He had a successful Major League Baseball career. And after his baseball career, he transitioned into becoming an ultra-endurance athlete. And again, we've talked with lots of people who've done these ultra endurance sports. Eric's perspective is absolutely fascinating, making the transition from playing a professional sport where you're in front of 60,000 people to doing one of the most solitary and time consuming events that there is. There's no one that tells a story like Eric as well. So this is a really fun episode, and it's a fascinating journey. And we also get into a movie that was made about this transition that he did and his involvement in the Western States 100, which is a 100-mile trail run in uh, the Sierra Nevada Mountains in Northern California. The movie is called Diamond to the Rough. It's available on Vimeo for free. It is outstanding. It recently won the Judge's Choice Award at the Monarch Film Festival, beating out 34 other movies. I've watched it. It's outstanding. I highly recommend it. It's a wonderful adjunct as well to all of these conversations we've been having to see firsthand what it takes to be able to do these sorts of things and pull those lessons back so that we can go forward and deploy them ourselves. I hope you enjoy this last episode of 2016 as much as I did. This has been a wonderful year. Can't wait to see you guys on the flip side at the beginning of 2017. We will hit the ground running, I promise you. But until then, here is Eric Burns. Eric, welcome to Explore the Space. Mark, thanks for having me, buddy. It's been, what, about 19 years, I think, when we last sat down for an interview. I don't think you could have given me any odds to think that someday you and I would sit down and do another interview when we're now in our 40s.
0: I yeah I think people at home listening or wherever they are listening uh, need to grasp the concept of actually what's going on here. so <laughs> Mark was like the, the man, the head reporter for the Daily Brewing Back in the day. So here we were going all the way back to college, I guess Reber Hall, our freshman year,
1: fourth floor of Reber Hall, our freshman year,
0: so we developed this relationship and the, and along the way through school, and then four years, you know we were there. You become this lead writer for the Daily Bruin. And then along the way, I somehow became a, somewhat of a somebody on the baseball world, at least. And I, w- I think it, it cultivated. And then you looked it up the other day, dude. It was the uh, kind of this going out piece. It was one of your yeah. final pieces, I think, that you wrote for the Daily Bruin. And yeah. Probably the last article that the Daily Bruin you know, ever did on me. And now here we are. And now here we are. 40-year-old men. <laughs> Like it, Our lives have completely taken off in just weird, different directions, rekindling the flame though. So that's it's, pretty cool, man. It's
1: very cool. It's very cool. Yeah, that was one of the last stories I wrote. I think that you may have undersold what you said about your career because you did end up in the UCLA Sports Hall of Fame, well-deserved for your baseball career. This is uh, – on the podcast, as you and I have talked about, we like to kind of paddle out and and look at some of the things that people do that put them on the sharp edge of the human experience. And you've done two of them. You were a professional baseball player. You had a long and storied career, but now you've pivoted and you are an ultra marathoner. So I want to start back a little bit. Let's go back to playing baseball. Baseball has always struck me as one of the most social sports. You've got a team around you. You're never far away from other people. You're constantly communicating and you're doing it in front of a huge crowd. So you're immersed in this pool where there's all these people seeing you, watching you, helping you, you're helping them. What is that environment like when you're kind of in that spotlight where there's all of that attention and all of those people that you're interacting with while you're competing?
0: Uh, It's interesting because when you grow up, uh, I I think everybody, and I I think parents and coaches do a really good job of of presenting this team first uh, oriented concept. And then as as you grow through the ranks and you get up to high school, and I I think, you know, again, like same sort of thing, it is is 100% team first. You get to college, and I know at UCLA, uh, Gary Adams, who was our our head coach back then, did, did a terrific job of continuing to team first, team first, team first. And then I think the reality of the situation is that not a lot of people understand is that when you get to professional baseball, it's not team first. And, you know, I think that was a a pretty difficult transition for me because uh, at the end of the day, it was always about wins and losses. And you were going to go out there and you're going to do whatever you could do to help your team, you know, win that game on that certain day. Yet when you get to the minor leagues and, you know, you're on a team in Medford, Oregon with with 24 other guys from uh, all over the world and, you know, communication barriers are definitely there. Uh, you have people from all walks of life, be it, you know, backwoods, you know, southern Georgia to, uh, you know, sit, you know, New York City, New York City, somebody that that grew up in, in, in a completely different sort of environment to a California kid. And then again, I, like I mentioned, I mean, kid, kids from the Dominican Republic, Venezuela, Puerto Rico, Japan, Korea, and, and you throw them on a team. And then you realize, you know, what's really going on and what's going on. Our guys are in this for themselves. And I hate to say it, but in a lot of ways, like sort of rightfully so, because, you know, whether or not you win or lose that game in in Medford, Oregon, that was the first low A ball team that I played on is quite frankly, if that's not going to determine your future. But the reality of the situation is that there's millions of dollars at stake and there's very few people that. That have that opportunity to go ahead and capitalize on that, and but, you know, also another thing I think you know there's a big misconception because everyone looks at baseball players and they think about how much money that you know they make, and the, I think the average salary is like almost four or five million bucks now. You know, my my first paycheck in the minor leagues, Mark, was three hundred and fifty dollars for two weeks. <laughs> so th- that's 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 what we were living off, yeah. and I you know I could not have made it uh, through that time. Without the help of my mom and 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 my dad, and, and it was just you know their support of me enabled me to to comfortably live through uh, some very lean years on the way to the big leagues.
1: Which of those environments was more comfortable for you? Where did you feel like your performance w- was at its highest? Was it where you were in a group of people where the team was absolutely first, or was it where hey we're, we're we want to win, but I am going to do things the way I see fit because obviously as your career progresses and then you make the shift into a very solo sport, which one of those did you feel like your performance was the best? And did you feel the most comfortable?
0: I've always been a team player. Yeah. I've, I've always been somebody that that's played a lot better individually uh, when I had a, a greater concept in mind. And, and there's a lot of selfish pricks out there. Don't, don't get me wrong. If you put them in an individual sort of situation, they're going to flourish. When they feel like the spotlight's on them and, and it's all on them, Like that's never been me. If if I could, I don't want to say blend in because that's not the right word. And, and I had no problem being the leader of any team that I played on. But whenever my vision went beyond myself, I, I, I was so much better. And whenever I, I would sit there and and think that okay, I need to do this because I need to make money, because I need to I need to uh, have good numbers to take the arbitration uh with me so I can buy a house and so I can buy a car and so I can pay pay my parents back and and it's just like that's not that's not it. I mean maybe the parents paying them back, like that'd be more motivation than than even you know, it's just all the other stuff. It's I've, I've said this about, I've said this about money a lot to a lot of people. Like as soon as my focus was off of money and I wasn't worried about it. And I focused on the task at hand. I focused on the process and not the result and not definitely not the reward of the result. That's when I I've seen the most amount of success in my life. And you know, this transcends just playing baseball. This goes into the broadcasting career that that I've entered since, uh, and this goes into, I guess you would call it a career in in, in ultra endurance sports. You know, it, when, when it's when it, when the the focus is 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 greater. And I'll tell you what, man, I mean, there's <laughs> there's a lot that's been written on this, and I don't think there's any doubt. And we're all driven in different ways. There's there's a book actually written by Matt Fitzgerald uh, just recently came out it's called how bad do you want it and and it really explores you know the different ways that each of us are mo- motivated and not all of us are motivated the same way so i i you know again like i don't think there's any question that i i was more motivated when when i had a a, a community sense i had a sense of of togetherness i had a sense of working for a, a greater goal other than hitting twenty home runs, stealing fifty bases, and, and getting paid uh, five million dollars in arbitration, that 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 never that never worked well for me.
1: That title really could have been your autobiography, and it's funny that you mentioned that because I remember I think I was in medical school or I may have been a resident, and I was relaxing at home and I was watching SportsCenter. And it was one of the plays that you made in left field, you know, full sprint into foul ground, body at the full stretch, diving to you know make the catch. Crowd goes crazy. You flip the ball to your teammate and run off the field. And I remember thinking like, man, Eric wants this bad. That is fantastic. And he just wants this more than most other people to put his body on the line like that. There was always that sort of energy that you had, and you never seemed to run, run short. You never seemed to run short of desire.
0: That's one of the things that, you know, both my parents taught me at a young age. That you know, no matter what you do, I want you doing it all out. Yeah. Uh, you give it. You give it, You give it everything you have. I couldn't have asked for two better parents when it came to supporting me in what I want to do. So, my dad was a four three black belt in Kempo Karate. At one time, he was the eighth highest ranking black belt in the world. My mother was an, an avid tennis player. Right, so I grew up doing what they did. I grew up doing karate, and I grew up doing tennis, and of course playing soccer, and uh you know just a be, you know baseball a little here, a little football, and it was just like I, I would dip my toe into everything, and you know it's it's basically what I'm trying to do with my children today. And then, what the greatest thing was is that it wasn't like, hey, look you're doing karate and you're doing tennis and that's it. And you know, whatever else you could work around. Great. It became, okay. You have a choice. You can do what you want to do. And, but no matter what you do, no matter, you know, what you decide to uh, focus your attention on, I want your 100% effort, you know, on that. And it doesn't mean you have to be playing one sport because that wasn't it. You know, I played multiple sports all the way up until I got to college. But I just, you know, that's what resonated with me as a kid. And I think it it stems from the martial arts background that my dad had and then that I was able to grow up in because, look, I I wasn't I was a a very rambunctious kid. I I lacked discipline. You know, it wasn't it wasn't anything over the top. I didn't I didn't end up in jail, but I, I, you know, I questioned authority a lot. I, I, I definitely was a troubled youth. I don't think there was any doubt about that. And then at, at some point, I think it was just in the third grade at the time, uh, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't sit through class. Like I, I could not get through one day of class and, and not get kicked out. It's just I wanted to talk. I wanted to move. And, and what it was is, is they, they pulled me aside and they saying this kid's got a learning disability. Like he's, you know, I obviously wasn't doing well in my test or anything either. And then they took me in and they had a a psychologist come in and give me an IQ test. And I I think I just completely just shocked, shocked the the world in in a sense that like the psychologist didn't know what to make of it. And, And then a fake, you know what, what he basically took out of it is it was an early diagnosis of ADHD. And this is, you have to understand this is mid 1980s. So it wasn't like there was Ritalin or Adderall or any of these, you know, uh, amphetamine drugs rolling around, but they did understand that, you know, within the brain, if you're to give a kid a stimulant, what that stimulant actually does is it'll level them out. So the prescription that they gave me was, was coffee. And, you know, I tried coffee and my parents gave it to me. And then it was just, no, nah, I wasn't, I wasn't drinking coffee. So I was left to cope on my own. And I think that was probably the greatest thing that could have ever happened because. I learned how to deal with it, and it's funny because, you know, you think about anything in life, right? Mark, you i mean, you're a doctor, dude. So, it's in order to focus on something, like you gotta, you gotta, you gotta want to learn it. If that makes any sense, you have to have the desire. If you don't have the desire, if you don't want to, it's not going to get done. And so, what happened is that my athletic career started to take off a little bit, and I had this vision that I wanted to play football and baseball at St. Francis High School. Well, guess what? In order to get into St. Francis High School, which was very competitive even back in the day, I, I had to get good grades. And so I went finally, it wasn't until the seventh grade, it was like, okay, these are the grades that count. And I focused my attention because I saw that end, that end goal, that end result, right? The end result was going to St. Francis. So my focus then immediately became, okay, how does this happen? And I, I immersed myself in the process. And the process was was getting a, a kid with ADHD to, to, to hyper-focus on, on schoolwork to be able to get the grades to allow me to, to go to St. Francis and, and, you know, play football and baseball.
1: It's so interesting as you're describing all of these things. I can see the puzzle pieces snapping together because before the thought of a guy who plays Major League Baseball – Then becoming an ultra-endurance athlete, which is going from the most social to the extraordinarily solitary, doesn't make sense. But we can see these things sort of snapping together, right? There's this restlessness. There's this ability to problem solve. There's this ability to hyper-focus. There's this ability to block out distraction, pain. There's an ability to focus on a goal and what it's going to take to get there. Did you feel those things? coming together. So you finish your baseball career. You're looking for something else that restlessness is probably still there. Did you feel that these are the tools that I have and I'm ready to pivot from something where I'm on sports center and I'm getting interviewed and my pictures in the newspaper and online to something where I'm just another dusty guy on the trail who's (laughs) limping through a long race?
0: Yeah, I did. Well, the transition was interesting because it wasn't like I had this vision when I was playing baseball that I was going to get into endurance sports. I had no idea what I can do when I got done. Yeah, and when, you know when when I got released by the Seattle Mariners in 2010, I had some soul searching to do. And when I first got done, I was I was surfing every day, I was playing slow pitch softball, and I was golfing. I don't want to say I wasn't fulfilled. I was just like, hey, look, let me take a few months to gather myself and really kind of figure out what I want to do with the rest of my life. And I knew the broadcasting thing was there. So career wise, and I think that was really important, uh, career wise, I I had the vision and I knew now what people don't understand though, is that, so here I was, you know, playing baseball at the highest level for 12 years and all of a sudden, and, and you could even go beyond that because it goes back to college. So that, you know, they're, they're now they're 16 years, and then you go back to high school, we're super competitive. There, that's 20 years of playing ultra competitive baseball, and all of a sudden that that rug is ripped out from under you. So physically, what was I going to do to fulfill the void uh, that was left? And I, there was a uh, Erica Ray and Lauren Ray, two girls. That I went to junior high school with sisters, and uh, a, a guy by the name of Kevin Cuomo's call him Chops, and I ran into them at a it was a junior high school reunion, totally random. Uh, yes, they, those those do exist. <laughs> and we were, we were wrapping it out, and and all three of them were saying they're like, hey, in two weeks we're going down to do this triathlon in Pacific Grove, and I'm like, okay, which is like Pebble Beach area. And at this time, my schedule was just completely free, right? And I'm, I'm like, I'm interested. I said, I've always been interested in triathlon. Like, I saw, I, I watched uh, Julie Moss collapse at the finish line in Kona. I remember sitting there with my dad. I mean, I got the vision of it right now.
1: Yeah, that's what, the famous clip, absolutely.
0: The famous clip. Watch it yeah. why world of sports? Yep. So, and I I was just thinking myself then. I'm like, man, what does it take to push your body to that limit? And so when they said they were doing this now – Here's the funny thing. Like I had never swam more than 25 yards of my life. Uh, the only bike I owned was a beach cruiser, which I was cruising around Seattle, just getting from my apartment to the stadium. And then, you know, I'd never run more than four miles in my life. Well, good thing for me, this was a sprint. It was like a 500-yard swim. I'm like, dude, I'll get in the pool. I'll figure it out, right? Uh, now, And I'd surf too. So I, I felt that would help me a little bit. Um, and then uh, as far as the bike, I'm like, huh. Eh. I'll bring my beach cruiser down.
1: <laughs> of course. Yeah.
0: And the run, the, the run was only like, I don't know, two, three mile run. I'm like, I, I could get through that. It doesn't matter. So I, sh- I showed up just completely on a whim, meet up with the, the the, 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 the race sisters and chops. And they were laughing at me. I, I mean, and I you talk about being intimidated. Like I got there and you see all these triathlon bikes that are, you know, parked up and, you know, and hung up on the racks. Like, I didn't even know how to hang a bike up on a rack or, and then, then, you know, all these numbers that I'm supposed to put on my bike and I'm supposed to put on my helmet. I'm like, what is this? The wetsuit I had was a five millimeter NorCal surfing wetsuit. So it, it, you barely move the arms. Um, and the race started. I, I thought I was going to die in the water. I really did. I, I thought I was going to drown. Uh, I, I somehow made it out. I, I, I ended up on the beach like a beach whale. And it just, honestly, just thanking God that I was still alive. I went into transition, took like ten minutes in transition just to catch my breath. Hopped on the beach cruiser. I was getting passed by fifteen-year-old girls, and I know this because they had they had the the uh, in triathlon you put your age on your calf, and so these fifteen-year-old chicks. I mean, it was just it was embarrassing. But guess what? I put a big smile on my face. I had fun with it. Pretty soon, people were cheering for the beach cruiser dude and yada yada yada. Get off the bike, run a couple miles. Had an absolute blast turned it, each uh, all three of them. And I said, thank you guys. That was one of the greatest experiences of my life, but understand this, that'll be the last time you ever beat me. A month later, we, I did, I did another sprint. I invited them down to my house in Arizona. And there was one in Arizona that we had found. And that, that was it. That was my coming out party. And then right after that, I was struggling in the water. still. I, I needed to find a swim coach. I ran into a guy by the name of Frank soul over lifetime fitness. And, and I, I just thought he was a swim coach. He ended up being a triathlon coach. He's like, what do you want to do with this? I'm like, I don't know. I said, one day I want to do an Ironman. He goes, I'll have you ready to go for uh, Ironman Arizona in, in 11 months, if you want to do it. I said, I'm in. And uh, 11 months later, I did my first Ironman. And then now I guess it's, it's exactly a five-year period. Uh, I've done nine Ironmans. And then, you know, in the process of all that, um, you know, I transitioned into the the ultra world as well. And it's been a in my opinion, it's a it's a real healthy combination uh, of the two because they're both very different, um, very different sports. But they're they're both of them are very rewarding uh, in their own individual ways.
1: At what point you're on the beach cruiser? I can I, I'm hoping that you're going to tell me that you were wearing board shorts. But at what point in that race did that? You know, they always talk about for for athletes for anyone who does high performance activities that focus does lock in. You feel like you're, you're dialed in and you're concentrating at what point for you, did your, did that sort of hyper-focus lock in where you said it's all You know
0: what? It was, it uh, that's a good question. And, and it's funny. I don't think anyone's ever asking that question either. Um, you know, I've talked about this a lot because uh, just because of the unlikely transition from going from playing baseball to the nurse world, uh, leave
1: it to your college buddy to catch you on I
0: know. And, and, and you know what? Like I know the exact answer because so when I got out of the water, Again, I, I I was so thankful that I didn't drown, um, and I was I, I I was worried, and it, and it <clears throat> I mean you could say full blown panic attack like all of it. it they, there was kelp in the water, and so the kelp I, I couldn't I didn't know how to f- swim freestyle either, so I'm swimming breast rope, but I'm going through the kelp, and, and the kelp it, it's as I'm you know pushing with my arms, it's it's like holding me back, and it was just, it was just incredibly uncomfortable. So when I get on the bike, when I got on the bike. And I did that first lap. Right. And I saw like these 15 year old girls passing. It wasn't a bunch. It was like one girl. I remember 15 years old passing me. And then I, I really was just trying to get comfortable on the bike. And I was wearing board shorts, by the way. And, I, <laughs> and I, I was just trying to get comfortable. And so when I got comfortable and I got, got my groove. And so the beach cruiser wasn't single speed. It had speeds on it. And and the terrain was actually perfectly made for me because I mean, dude, at the time I was probably 210 pounds. So I'm going through, like, it was kind of like just rolling and flat, which for a 210 pound power rider, understand, like the one thing that I had to my advantage entering this, that like I had done that, that had set me up for triathlon was, was strength training. And so I had a ton of strength in my legs. Now I didn't necessarily have the endurance, but I was strong. And so for that, like loop that we did. I think we did two six mile loops, right? So when I came around for the second loop and everyone's like, Hey, beach cruiser dude. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I started passing people like, and then that's when it kicked in. It was a second loop. It was like, look, no excuses anymore. You know, you got under the water, you do what you did. You, you you've now gotten comfortable on the bike. You proved you you know, at least I can ride this thing. Now it's time to get going. And I, I swear to you, in that second loop, I must've passed, I don't know, you know, 50 people, it seemed like one after and I'm passing them on a beach cruiser. How do you think they felt about that?
1: (laughs) There's without a doubt, you can feel that rush, right? I mean, you're competing again, just like anyone rekindling an interest, you know, for me surviving medical school and residency and being able to start competing on the tennis court again, like, Oh my God, I, I forgot how much this feels like home. I forgot how much mentally I crave this just to know that it's still there for you and that you can start hitting on all cylinders and, and push. It's really (laughs) satisfying.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. And and it's funny because before that it wasn't competing before that it was, it was, I was in survival mode and then it was that second loop of the bike that it was like, okay, yeah, you know, here here we go. This is a competition. This is the stuff. This is what I've been missing. This is what I've been looking for. Yeah. Right. This is something that I love being in the water, but in my mind, there's no competition in the water. I never got to the level of surfing that was, that was like, I'm, I'm competing against this dude. And yeah, sometimes you're fighting for waves or whatever, but it's not, there's, there's no big competition. I'm not getting scored on these things or anything else. I like, I didn't get it there. Softball was softball. Softball was fun and, and it's still fun. I'll go out there and play, but you know, you, try playing softball after you play major league baseball and to, to truly feel that competitive, uh, fulfill that competitive thing. It's, it's just, mm-mm. It, it it wasn't necessarily there. It's even not there. I'd love to go out and play softball, but it's, again, that's, I'm not going to get that same sort of feeling. It wasn't until then. It wasn't until I was on that course or that sprint triathlon that said, man, this is a competition. And, and that's, that's, that's what, that's what captured me. That's, that's, that's what got me to go all in and, and, and say, man, I like, I just, I want, I want this to be a part of my life.
1: So now you've evolved, you've competed, you're doing iron, you're doing the iron triathlons, you're getting your skill set down. You've got the right equipment and you got to yourself to a point. And I remember you and I had, we're, we're talking a little bit about it before you did it. You got yourself into what a couple of my friends who, who do ultras as well, referred to as a suffer fest. You got yourself into one of the toughest 100 mile runs in the country. So tell us a little bit about first of all, how did you even find out about the Western States 100? And let's and then take us to the start line. The you know the sun's not up yet. You got 100 miles of Sierra Nevada terrain staring down at you.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I mean, just going back to the Western States 100, it's something I'd heard about, but I, I couldn't. I couldn't quite grasp the concept of it, 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 it like, run a hundred miles. Like it, I did when you're playing baseball, like who are these freaks? Like you don't get it. You don't understand. I don't know. How, I didn't know if I had the desire to really understand. It's just like, I mean, these people are crazy, right?
1: And let's be clear. This is 100 miles without stopping. You don't Without sleep.
0: stopping 19,000 yeah. feet of elevation yeah. gain, 23,000 feet of descent. Uh, through the Sierra Nevada mountain range, I mean it started as a horse race and and, and somehow evolved <laughs> to, to this uh, thanks to gordy Ainslade but i I think um, I think it was about i you know I, I I've said a lot of this stuff in in the documentary that that was done on on the race and on my transition from uh, from baseball into into uh triathlon and then in, into ultra marathon uh, called Diamond to the Rough which you know, I know you've had a chance to come out and, and, and see, but it, it was, uh, I think it was 2006, uh, where I was, I was playing for the Arizona diamondbacks. And I, I remember sitting in the clubhouse and, and every day I, I've always read the paper. Um, you know, I know how they always say like the athletes, Oh, I don't read the paper. I don't read the paper. Well, look, dude, like, I, I like reading the paper. I, I like sports. I like, so I couldn't avoid that the newspaper clippings you know good or bad or whatever it was like it was I loved reading the paper and so again like I think it was in USA today and there was an article about this guy his, his name is uh, Brian Morrison and he had he had run the western states 100 and he had gone a uh, hundred miles and was in first place he was in first place by about 20 minutes and then he was he was running around the track and the track is is uh, at at Placer, Placer High School in Auburn. And it's just like, you run like not even a full lap around the track. It's like 0.2 miles around the track uh, to the finish line. Well, I guess he got to the track and he started, he collapsed. And then, you know, he got up and he collapsed again. He got up and and each, each time, as I think that like, you know, probably his crew and family members, you know, were concerned about him is when he collapsed, they, they helped him up. But you know, there he was like taking every, Every step on his own. Uh, and then he eventually crosses the finish line, collapses again, gets back up. I mean, he he drove himself. It kind of – I mean, kind of like Julie Moss, but right? Back in the, that Ironman that I was describing earlier. It's just like, God, what drives somebody to just complete exhaustion? Uh, you know, and what sort of mental uh, capacity do you have to have, you know, to eventually – you know, put your body in that position, uh, to where it's it just that that's it. That's, that's all you have left. I mean, you, you, you could tell like physically it, it was, it was just, it just wasn't there. Uh, and you know, the, the quote that I had in the documentary was that, I mean, that dude's got some balls and it, there's no doubt in my mind, like that captivated me, captivated me, but guess what? He got disqualified. So that like said, like rage for me too. It was like, no, how do you disqualify? Like, <laughs> I don't care if you're helping a guy off. I mean, are you serious? If you, I understand if it's like he's putting one arm across the other guy and they're dragging him across the finish, that's different than like, here's a hand, get up. Like that, that, that's on the other people. That's not on him. So one of the things that like, I was, I don't know, it's, I'm not sure disgusted is the right word. I was disappointed. I, I thought the dude should have won the race. So they disqualified him. And so I'm I'm telling the story to uh, Dan Heron, I believe. Um, Actually, I don't know if Heron was on the team at at the time. Uh, But I, it was just to anyone who would listen, like check this out, check this out. And and I'm telling the story. So what happened is when I when I got into doing the triathlon, uh, and you know it was like one Ironman after the next after the next. Obviously, like it was man. Like I'm I'm also interested in, in trail running. And there was this girl that had worked out at the same studio, uh, cycling studio in San Francisco that I had for a little bit. And I didn't even know her and still don't really know her. But I, I'd heard that, hey, this chick's going to do Western States. This chick's going to do Western States. And, and so I'm like, I followed her progress just loosely, you know, just vaguely knowing somebody that was doing it. And I started thinking to myself that, you know what, like, I want to do this race one day. And so at the time, like, let's say I was like 36, right? And I'm like, when I'm 40, I said, that'd be a good goal. Because I remember when I was a kid, my dad, he got his fourth degree black belt when he turned 40 years old. And that was a really big deal. Like I mentioned, like at the time, eighth highest ranking black belt in the world. There's a lot that went into it. Uh, You know, I remember like being by his side when he was training. And I mean, I could have these visions of him right now with, with uh jeez like larry tatum and ed parker and just ah, God, God, God. i mean it's just crazy sort of stuff right so you know here i am and 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 i'm looking at this going man this would be something cool to give to my kids that the same thing that my dad gave to me you know when i turned 40 but i was still four years out and then i started i think at, at about two three years out i started realizing like What's it going to take to get in this race? And there's, there's just so much to it. So the first thing I did is I signed up for uh, uh, way, the Way Too Cool 50K. And I take that back. The first thing I signed up for was a Western States training run just to get a sense of, like, what it is. And then I signed up for the Way Too Cool 50K. And then I was at the Way Too Cool 50K. I met a guy by the name of Jim Richards. And, I you know, he's I wouldn't even know how to describe him in, in the ultra world. I mean, ultra runner, but, like, just – I've been around the game for a long time and, and, you know, definite, like just stud volunteer works, works all the races, be it way too cool or, uh, the Miwok 100, uh, Western States. He's just kind of a liaison for the sport. And, and so as I got to know him, I asked him, I'm like, man, I said, you know, you're basically the first person I'm telling this. I said, I want to do Western States, you know, and the year I turned 40 and this and that, whatever I said, how do I get in? And he started describing all the ways in, in the qualifying races and everything else. And so I went through the whole process, um, and I qualified at Miwok, uh, which was a hundred K race. And then, uh, and then got into the Western States lottery. And, and, you know, I tried to, there's raffle tickets you can buy. So I spent like four grand in raffle tickets, just knowing that if, look, if I don't get in, oh, well, you know, it's going to the trails. But I didn't get in through that way. And then, you know, I, I went to the lottery, had less than a 3% chance. And there was something about it. I, I was like driving over the hills and I was driving down from Tahoe and I'd flown in from New York the night before. Understand this, New York to Tahoe the night before, uh, then, then, then excuse me, New York to San Francisco and then I had to drive. I would go from San Francisco all the way up to Lake Tahoe. Uh, didn't get in till like four in the morning, slept for like two hours. Uh, and then got in the car and I, and I drove down to the Western States lottery. And, you know, the, the reason to go there was for a lot, like my main reason was I need to meet some of the people with the, with the organization and, and just show my face a little bit. And, you know, there's, there's so many people that, that, you know, work so hard of this race and it's their baby. And, you know, here I am. And, you know, I, I actually, I, I applied for an, an exemption spot, which is something that, you know, was like, Hey, look, if you think you could add something, uh, to a, uh, to the Western States, like beyond, I don't know, help promote the sport sort of thing. And being in the media, I'm like, you know, I wrote a letter uh, to the board, just saying that, you know, I'd, I'd love to help any way I can, whatever that, you know, whatever that would be, It's, you know, be, you know, help get newspaper articles out or, you know, go, go on my, my relationship with, you know, talk radio in, in the Sacramento area, in the San Francisco Bay area. Um, you know, so I, I tried that and, and I was denied and, you know, that's, I was totally understood. No problem. So anyway, I ended up going out of the lottery, had a 3%, less than a 3% chance and got picked. Um, and it was just one of the most exhilarating experiences, uh, of my life. And that was just getting picked. That was and just then getting I knew. picked. Yeah. Yeah. Then I knew I had about six months to, to get ready for the race and, uh, didn't really cut any corners, man. Just, just, just dove all in
1: The the movie diamond to the rough captures that whole journey it is such a good documentary it's so much fun it's so insightful we're not going to step on it here because people need to watch it it's available online the the links will be up on our website and we'll put them up on social media as well but it's not to be missed i want to ask you though specifically about this when you're telling friends ex-teammates your wife i'm going to go run 100 miles in lake tahoe in the summertime i'm going to do it without stopping that's the deal what was your favorite response? What was the best thing someone said to you when you told them this is the plan?
0: Probably something from my mom for sure. Yeah. Without a doubt. Like, and I don't know what it was because she's had so many like epic one liners since I've gotten into this. <laughs> yeah. And, and so my favorite one was, uh, so I done, I don't know what it was. This is call it like my six Man or something. Right. And and you understand this is in a pretty short period of time. So all of a sudden it was just like, all, like they were just overwhelmed, the whole family. And and my mom was great. Like she she felt like she had to be there for every one of them. And so I get to, I get done with my six Iron Man. And we're, at, we're at her house. And uh she turns to me and she's like, Hey uh Eric, how long do you expect to keep doing these? Like how many more until you're satisfied? Like what, 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 what is it? What's going to make you say, Hey, like, okay. Like she goes, cause like what you're doing is like, this isn't normal. Do you understand this? And I said, yeah, I said, mom, I said, you got a good point. I said, here, hold on a second. And so I went to the computer and I typed up uh, um, Lou Hollander, a guy by the name of Lou Hollander. And, and at the time, Lou Hollander was, I believe, 84 years old and had just completed his, I don't know, 40th Iron Man, whatever it was. And I said, hey, mom, I want to take down Lou Hollander. That's the guy. <laughs> and so I, I think it was just like, the, I, I wanted to to grasp the concept of and, and to understand that I was in this for the long haul. And yeah. it wasn't. You know what's great about it is that you don't get me wrong there's a ton of competition we've talked about the competition and everything else and and, and it, I get the fire burning um and I, I definitely fulfill my competitive edge but you know it's kind of like Western states it was like I the, the 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 coolest thing about all of this is that ultimately the goal is to finish the goal is to cross the finish line like like that's that's it the, the goal you know the satisfaction that you're able to take from these and that's that's something I think that's a little jaded in triathlon because in triathlon you know, not necessarily so much in ultras um I haven't seen it as much at least but in triathlon you see you see so many people get done with the race and and they're not satisfied right it's it's like there's always something uh that 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 happened out on the course that makes you thinking like man I, I could have done better. I want you know uh and it's what it keeps bringing you back and I and I think that's good. But I also think that – and this is one of the things I've learned just from doing them, because I definitely have those races where I felt the same way. I'd get done. It was like, oh, I didn't like this. I didn't like that. And I remember specifically there was one race in Arizona where I, where I showed up at Ironman Arizona, and I, I swam, and, and I had a swim that was like, let's um, say, two minutes slower than I expected to swim. And I got out of the water, and I was so pissed off because I was two minutes slower on the swim, just freaking irate, right? And guess what? It ruined the rest of my day. And, I th- and it was early on. It's probably my, I think it was my third Ironman. And then at that point, I'm like, never again, never again, especially the swim. I mean, that's the last thing you need to get pissed off about. It's not even 10% of the race. But I said, I'll never let like, a result affect my attitude on the course. And from there on out, I, I haven't. And and to be honest, I've, I've basically improved every, just about every single Ironman Uh you know, that, that I've done. So it's, uh, it's just been a, it's been an awesome experience, but as far as you know, the support system and everything else, I, I couldn't ask for more from, you know, even my mother who questions it, even my, my wife who, you know, thinks I'm insane. Uh, you know, I'm sure my children too, but, uh, you know what? I, it's, I have the greatest support system in, in the world.
1: It's interesting because as you're doing these things, you're, you're building, you know, you have the support network to drive you along. You're able it, I think most people would agree that when you're able to also feel like you've got a foundation behind you, but also able to let go of your own sort of internal expectations and enjoy, as you say, just enjoy the swim. And then all of a sudden your performance is that much better. It probably helps. it, it, It does. It helps weather the difficult moments. Cause I think recently at one of your more recent events, you had your own sort of Julie Moss, Brian Morrison finish where there was nothing left in the tank and the, you know, the knees are knocking and the legs go out. After you finished, I mean, you got through it, but it's got to be a really interesting kind of kind of soup of tools and energy and people behind you to help you push yourself all the way out to that far edge and then go beyond it.
0: Yeah. And you know what's funny is that I haven't been there that often. I mean, I haven't. Quite frankly, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think I've been there at all. And... and and you're right. It was, it was this last Ironman that I just did. And, you know, this is coming off of Western States and I worked for MLB network. So I was, I was, you know, heavily involved in the, in the, in the playoff coverage, uh, all through the month of October and Ironman Arizona was in November. I went into this last Ironman and, and I knew I had the, the endurance space. There wasn't any question with that, but I, I barely had, you know, I only a handful of Less a few hundred mile rides, but that was it. I think maybe two or three. It just it wasn't a lot, right? And I just said, you know what? I said I have the experience, I have the me- the, the mental uh, capacity for this, and I I'm gonna go out there. I'm gonna race my balls off. And I had to, had a good swim, and my whole goal uh, was was to break ten hours. And I had finished in ten oh one the the year before. And, and every single year, with the exception of the one year that I described when I was so upset after getting out of the water, uh, every single year I'd, I, have, I have improved. Or every every single Ironman, I've improved, 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 right? So here I am. I'm like, okay, just break 10 hours. Just break 10 hours. And uh, got out of the water, felt great. Got on the bike, felt great. Uh, and then I, I got to the marathon. And I said, okay, I mean, this is it. Uh, and I took off. And I, and I was, I was running the exact pace that, that I wanted to. And basically my whole idea was that I was going to, I was going to come out running, running eights, uh, you know, right on the dot and, and, and just hold on as, as long as I could. And, and I was fine through like the first 12 miles. And then I hit like mile 13 and it started to slow down and I'm like, geez, and, and in order to break 10 hours, like I, I was going to have to keep, I basically was going to have to keep near that pace. And, uh, Next thing you know, the pace is dropping off, and right now, if you if I were to guess and say this is my mile fourteen or fifteen, if I were to guess, like I don't think that I'm going to break ten hours. So if I keep looking down at my watch and keep being discouraged every time I look down at my watch and see my pace slow, like that's that's not going to help me because I knew if I if I didn't feel like I was going to break ten, that I, I I'd quit. And, and I'd not quit and not quit, you know, walk off the course. Take
1: the foot off the accelerator though.
0: Just, yeah, quit. quit. Exactly. Just the effort, right? Yeah. yeah I, I would back up on the effort. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. Like I've given this race everything I had so far. I, I'm like, I, I want, I want to see, I want to see how well I can finish. And I, I want to leave everything out on this course. So I turned my watch off and I'm like, that's it. And I got on my toes a little bit. This was like from the first triathlon books that I read. I think it was dave scott or mark allen it was dave scott i believe that said that you know whenever he felt like he wanted to get faster he tried to get up on his toes pump his arms a little bit more so i got up my toes a little bit started pumping my arms a little bit more and, and just started cruising and i, I felt at, at times I, I had a good clip going and I'm going and going and go just pushing 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 and i got to like the last two miles and i'm like oh man i i, I barely anything left in the tank and I, I completely just driven myself to exhaustion. I had two miles to go. And there's a buddy of mine that showed up on a beach cruiser.
1: Uh, <laughs> all the yeah. way back, all the way back, full circle to the beach cruiser.
0: Yeah, that's funny. That's so right. So he shows he shows up and and it's my boy Michael Kowalski. Uh, and I, he, he's out, you know, he's out there. He's just driving on the streets, whatever. And he goes, "Let's go." He goes, "Put your head down and let's go. Just start moving." And so when he's speaking to me like that and I didn't know the time and I'm like, I got a shot. I just got a shot and he's right. Like who cares? Did shot. And, and I, 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 did exactly that. I just kind of put my head down. Or I, I do not say that. I didn't put my head down, but you know what I mean? Just like complete utter focus. And, and I took off and I finished the last mile. I ran a sub seven mile.
1: Holy cow.
0: In the last mile of an Ironman, think about that. That's reaching
1: like, deep into the toolbox for sure. Oh,
0: dude, I yeah, for me, like like for the pros, no, that's I mean, dude, they they spin on that. That's what you know. They they average that, or even you know less than that. The, the dude pros are averaging like five thirty a mile, but that's just ridiculous, right? But like but, you
1: say, this is about what you're able to do. This is about taking yourself quite, way further than you think you're able to go.
0: Exactly. So you know, dig, digging deep, and I, I cross that finish line, and I. It's funny because as soon as I, as soon as I crossed, I just the legs gave out. I I, I grabbed onto like the rail, uh, and I was done, man. It was a first Ironman. Man. I ended up in the in the medical tent. And, hey, I don't. I don't. It's funny because I don't know. I didn't know if I needed to be there. Like they, I got an IV, but the, for whatever reason, IV wasn't really working really well. It doesn't drip. I got it was the the drip. They were saying I have a lot of valves, so it wasn't. you know, it wasn't smoothly going in. I guess this, this would be your expertise, (laughs) but I I said, dude, I sat there for, I sat there for like an hour and, and, and got up and you know, what? two, three days later I was, I was completely fine. And like, and and it wasn't, but it's interesting because it goes back to kind of that theory of like, how bad do you want it? And you know, how bad are you willing to suffer and push yourself? And, and, and at least in a long distance race, uh, you know, I wanted it badly. I wanted that 10 hours badly. You know, the ironic thing is like, I finished in, in 10 hours and four minutes. So I, I didn't break it. I didn't even beat 10 Oh one from last year. Uh, but I, I don't think I'd ever been, you know, more satisfied with the race because I'd never, I'd never laid it all, all out on the line. Uh, like I did there for, for the, those last, you know, 10, 11 miles.
1: That's you laying out for that catch and foul ground again. You know, it's just saying, We're going to do what we're going to do. We're going to go as hard as we can. We're going to throw ourselves into this. And, you know, people gravitate to that. That's fun to see happen. And, you know, all those years later, you still got to have that moment.
0: Yeah. And and I think that's what it's about. You know, again, it's one of the things I talk about the movie is like setting the example for the children, for the kids. And and man, like if there's one thing and it's, you know, not just my kids, but just you know, say people watch me play baseball, or, or say someone going to be out on a course and, and watch me race. You know, look like, like, dude, I'm a 40 year old man. Like this is it's not, you know, I, I'm, I'm not I'm not asking people to to you know look my way for inspiration and you know watch me do Ironmans or ultra marathons or anything else. But you know, if there's one thing that people can do, you know, and this is why this is a one thing uh, that I think is just so cool about social media is that like. I'll give you an example, like Instagram, right? So Instagram has story time now, which is basically like a Snapchat. And through the course of the day, like I'll capture fun stuff. Does that make sense? Like I'll capture stuff that ideally is hopefully motivating to so some, some of it's just completely off the wall. But I like every time I'll just hit like click on something like, you know, which is all this shit, this stuff, excuse me, is, is totally authentic. And, and like if there's if there's something that someone's going to take from you know i don't know say watching a treadmill workout that i did this morning or at least a a a 12 second clip of it it is is yeah man yeah like yo know, let me draw some motivation from that like let me draft up because i i truly i truly believe that like if you know if all of us went out there and did something physical uh it, it will, it'll give you that mental clarity to, to just be a better person in your life. It's not. It's not just, uh, hey, let's get in shape. And the funny thing is, it's just like I, I, as I've done more of this, like I've become uh, less and less infatuated with like, hey, man, I want to be in shape or I need to watch what I eat or anything else. It's, it has nothing to do with that. It's, just, it's the mental stability that 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 the physical activity is, has been able to to give me uh, in my life. And, and if I can spread some of that love. Uh, to people uh, and, and and try to help them out and and have that you know and, and to live a a happier more productive life in, in which you know you're gonna it's gonna affect everybody that uh, that you're involved with it, you know be your family and children and, you know friends or coworkers whatever else uh, I mean this stuff's very real.
1: There's a it, profound it, ripple effect. There's no question, and I wow. agree. The the Instagram feed is is very motivating and it's a lot of fun. I have to tell you, though, the clip that you put up of your poor beleaguered toenails falling off was that was uh, probably could have done without that, with at least without a you know parental advisory or something. I hope your feet are, you know, somehow
0: rebuilding. You know, what's kind of sick about that is this. So I'll put up I'll put up a video. And I would say, like, I don't know. I mean, th- an average video that I put up is going to get like eighteen hundred hits. Right. It'll say like, eight, you know, because you can see the views on there, say eighteen hundred views. Would probably be average, maybe. The toenail
1: one went crazy. I bet.
0: Maybe maybe two thousand. Yeah. Right. The toenail one, and the funny (laughs) thing is, I posted like right before I went to bed, so it's not like I'm posting it any prime time. Yeah. I posted this thing like right before I went to bed, as kind of a joke because it made me laughing. And you know what? One of the reasons why I posted it is because my wife walked by in the middle of it (laughs) as as I was playing with it, and 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 my toenail was having a conversation with my kid. And my wife walked by. She goes, "That's disgusting." And so I just I thought that was hilarious. This the that fact she's walking by at the time and just goes, "That's disgusting." And that's what most people. That, that's what just about everyone's going to think is that's disgusting. And she's right. But like you know, by the time I woke up the the next morning, the, there was like four thousand hits on this thing.
1: Oh my goodness!
0: I like, it's it's a joke. <laughs>
1: it's amazing.
0: It's This crazy culture that we that we that we live in. Yeah, I apologize for the uh, the vulgar nature uh, of, of the toenails, uh, and <laughs> falling off. But yeah. it, it gives me so much pleasure and joy by seeing people's reactions. So I, I mean, that's not the last toenail pick you'll, you'll I'm see. I'm sure.
1: I'm sure. So the, the movie is diamond to the rough, the Instagram feed, where do we find all of these things? Because people are going to want to check them out.
0: So diamond to the rough is right now, uh, exclusively on, uh, Vimeo. So V I M E O Vimeo.com forward slash on demand forward slash diamond to the rough, not diamond in the rough diamond to the rough. It should come up. If you just go to Vimeo and, uh, Miles Smythe and, 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 uh, Damian Gordon are the two uh, photographers uh, on, on the film and the cinematography is is as good as i've ever seen so they they crushed
1: it they absolutely crushed it
0: the whole thing shot in 4k yeah you know regardless regardless it's uh that's where it is right now um we've talked to a few networks as far as you know them picking it up and playing it and people are trying to figure out what it what it actually is but i you know the one thing that i'm really proud of is that you know for everybody who has seen it, who everyone who's taken the forty-two minutes to sit down and 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 watch the the film, they've loved it. That was it's a it's a cool film. It's a cool message, uh, and I I think it's it's something that that will motivate a lot of people. This isn't just like a dig me piece. Hey, I did hundred miles. Come check me out. Hey, I played major league baseball. Come check me out. Like that's not it. That that's not it at all.
1: I would agree. This is it's not a vanity piece at all. If for no other reason it shows your whole team not just you but everybody putting a tremendous amount of energy out and suffering for a really really unique challenge uh and seeing that evolution is really exciting so thank you so much for coming on and talking about it this is uh it's been whatever it's been 1920 years since we last got to have a conversation like this this is this is amazing how these things can come full circle this was great fun thank you
0: yeah let's make a little deal though mark that like you know, sixty years old is not the next time we're
1: going to see. <laughs> fair enough. So fair enough. We're,
0: we're, if 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 anything, if all of a sudden you know we both kind of lose our ways for the next like five ten years, at least we can come back and we can have a reunion when when we turn fifty.
1: There you go. I like it. All
0: right, dude. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, ExploreTheSpaceShow dot com, and please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show, and you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to Mark at ExploreTheSpaceShow.com.